Welcome to the Access VFX podcast, pursuing inclusion, diversity, awareness and opportunity in VFX, animation and games industries. Hi, I'm Simon Devereaux, founder and director of Access VFX, bringing the visual effects animation and games industry together, working towards a shared goal to make our industry more diverse and inclusive by taking action rather than just talking about it. Hello and Happy New Year. I'm Simon, founder and director of Access VFX and welcome to season two, episode seven of the Access VFX podcast, our first episode of 2022. On each episode of the pod, we interview a different member of the VFX animation and games community and ask them a range of questions from the Access VFX vault. Every week we invite talented folks from the world of visual effects, animation and games, including heavyweights and those just getting started in the industry and ask them about their journey from humble beginnings, big breaks and learnings, through to shamelessly mining their brains for career advice and their thoughts on how we can create a more inclusive and diverse creative community. In this episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing Jasmine Katatekan, CG lead, creativity coach and co-founder of the Academy of Animated Art. Jasmine and I recorded this on Zoom back in December last year, and we had such a rich conversation, breaking down creativity, talking about pre-visiting your life, getting industry ready, and creating photoreal tomatoes, obviously. So now that the festive holidays are over, please sit back, relax, and we very much hope you enjoy episode seven of the Access VFX podcast. Hello and welcome to the Access VFX podcast, season two, episode seven. It's me, Simon Devereaux, and I'm joined today by a CG lead, a 3D lighting artist, an education and training manager, a certified scrum master, a creativity coach, currently the co-founder of the Academy of Animated Art, all the way from New York City, it's Jasmine Katatikan. Hooray! Welcome to the podcast. I'm, hey. still, I'm still waiting for like a, a soundbite to come in, like a round of applause. That's probably the longest intro I've had to uh, come, come up with for the, for the podcast thus far. I'm sure they'll be longer, but you, you definitely have the crown there, Jasmine. How are you? I'm good. And yeah, I'm happy to give you the longest intro. <laughs> But welcome. It's great to have you on, and our our first uh, our first guest from across the pond from from America, at least. I mean, we've had uh, Australia represented, and most of Great Britain. So it's great to have you live from. What is your morning in in New York City? Yeah, I'm in New York City. I'm glad to be the first representative of the U.S. It's exciting. So I've got a lot of questions to ask you, and I'm very interested in in your career. Clearly, very accomplished in terms of your professional career but particularly interested in your role as co-founder of the Academy of Animated Art. And I'd love to hear more about the Academy and in, term, in terms of what led to you co-founding the Academy and, yeah. and what it's set up to actually do. Yeah, so the Academy of Animated Art is an online school that is dedicated to getting uh, students jobs in the industry. And right now we are specifically focused on lighting, but we are expanding to you know, via more VFX and animation and whatnot. And the, the reason why we created the Academy of Animated Art was because we saw a need, really. It was back when I was working at Blue Sky Studios and I was going on recruiting trips. And as I was interviewing these students, and they were so passionate and so you know excited, but looking at the demo reels, it just wasn't there, especially in lighting. And I ended up having a conversation with my co-founder about it and we're like, students just are not learning what, you know, they need to know to be industry ready. 
And I reflected back on my own education and I was like, I was the same way. Everything I learned was on the job. And we were talking about why is that? And all of a sudden we're like, we can change that. Like they need to, wouldn't it be great if industry professionals taught like designed and taught these classes, gave them feedback, exactly how we learn on the job, but translate that into a school. And so that's how the academy was born. We're like, we built something that we wish we had when we were in school. And also to make it really affordable too. Affordable and accessible to anyone in the world. So you don't have to be in a specific location or dedicate, you know, have to be full-time as a student too, because we know that that's really difficult. So we designed our school to be fully flexible, um, no matter where you live in the world, you know, very financially economical compared to traditional education and successful. We've had so, and it's been great, like so many students have gone through our academy. And my favorite part about it is getting the messages like, I just got my first job and so exciting. So yeah, that's a little tidbit of the academy and how we started it. I love that. And the stories are so important, aren't they? I mean, you've been running the school for, I mean, it's almost 10 years. I was going to say 20 years. And clearly my my LinkedIn research is already flawed. 2012, I I can see that. Yeah, nearly 10 years. So yeah, you must have a lot of those messages and those, those emails, I'm sure. Yeah, it's great. Like we have, you know, I still remember one of our students sending us a picture of him holding the Academy Award from working on Spider-Verse. And he's one of our first students when we just did the And it was such a great feeling. Like, you know, the work we do personally in VFX and animation is fulfilling and really, you know, great creatively. But this other part, this other work is so fulfilling in a different way that I didn't realize it until I recreated the Academy of Animated Art. And it's great. It's a great feeling. It's just like a different creative outlet. Yeah, I love that you focused on creativity there, because from your your bio and from the conversation we had earlier is that you are an accredited kind of creativity coach. And I love that you almost span almost, I mean, from an Access VFX point of view, you're speaking to both of our audiences, because from the education piece, you've got the the, the, the people coming into industry, the aspiring talent, where you instill them with that creativity and that excitement for, for what it is we do. And then you get maybe five, 10 years into the game and perhaps that, that creativity spark disappears a little. And I mean, I, obviously I've only just met you, uh, Jasmine. This is the first, our first encounter. I'm hopefully not the last, but I, I would love to hear more about how you, you coach creatives and how you still get them to retain that almost childlike passion for just the moving image and animation and just incredible work. Yeah, so I got into coaching mainly because, yeah, I saw, one, I really loved help. Like, I saw the need that um, the feeling you get and the impact you have by helping someone, like mentoring them in that way. And I fell into creativity coaching specifically because, you know, from personal experience as well, especially as a creative, you can go into a lull, like, you know, we all remember when we first got into the industry, or maybe if you haven't got, got into industry, you have that feeling now. It's like, you're so excited, so inspired. Like, you just want to create and work. But then, you know, once five, 10 years go by, it's a horrible word, but people say jaded, right? They get jaded. They kind of like, it's like, oh, it's just a job. And all of a sudden, 
not only do they, they lose that motivation, but they lose that creative spark and not only in their job, but in their life. And more times than not, people just kind of live with it, right? They're like, no, this is how it is. And my, my role as a creativity coach and my goal is to like snap people out of that, <laughs> create that spark again, because it's still there. And it's actually could be stronger than ever because we have so much more experience under our belt. And there's so many different ways to, to do that. And it doesn't mean like leaving your job. It doesn't mean like, oh, I need a total refresh because that that's what a lot of people think. But in many times, it's just a little like change, a little bit of like bringing back something that sparks that, that creative joy. And then all of a sudden, everything becomes alive. Your work becomes better, you're happier, and you have that kind of that inner, like when you're a child and you're just creating for fun and that's why you got into this industry, you bring that back. And that's what I love to instill in the clients I work with, with creativity coaching. I feel like as creatives, we all kind of need that reminder. It's like, wait a minute, like, how can I, how can I get that feeling back? It's not lost. It's still in there. So yeah, it's, I get really passionate about it and it's really fun, you know, cause I can totally relate. I was in, I was in my own rut. Right. And it wasn't until I started doing this kind of work with myself. Then I was like, Oh, you know, and I saw how it would affect so many other people. And that's why I became a creativity coach to help others kind of do the same. I love that. And there's something in both your, your I'll call them extracurricular roles, whether it be the, the academy or your, or your coaching. But like you said, they're both, they're both connected to helping and mentoring and supporting people. And I mean, a lot of the reading that I, I've done and the work that I've done, you know, it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of research on acts of kindness and even good for your own, your own well-being and your own mental health. And like you said, you, you, you were in a lot once and there's something about, you know, paying it forward and and supporting others I mean it's it's a cyclical thing isn't it that everybody benefits in many ways yeah definitely and I think yeah for me too like the clients I work with I come from a unique perspective because I am an artist too so it's like oh I can totally relate to what they're going through and I I can help brainstorm with them like creative outlets and thinking and ways to problem solve whatever you know problem that they might be facing so yeah I like and I agree there's something about like paying it forward and as you Mm -hmm. get older I feel like um you (laughs) know as yeah like in your 20s you're just all about you know get the job work 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 and then there should be a chart I'm sure there is a chart of like a progression of like as you get older like what your priorities are and what you realize is is the most important and Mm -hmm. what is more the most impactful and what is creates more meaning. I mean, really what I like, what I do is I help people realize what they, what they can do to create the most meaning in their life. Cause that's what creativity is, right? Like mm-hmm. creating meaning with what you do and how can you continue doing that? Cause yeah, in your twenties, it's all about creating, like doing that job, but then maybe that doesn't fulfill you anymore in your thirties, you're looking for something more, but you don't know what it is. And then forties, fifties and so on. You're always growing and learning. That's a big thing too. I like to instill in people. We never stop growing. We never stop learning. And when I think we are are done and there's no more, like we can't learn anymore. I can't grow anymore. This is like my profession. That's when the lull really hits hard. 
So it's that reminder, like as creatives, especially, we can always create new things. And I like to say like, you're designing your life. Actually, my best, I love this analogy, especially with people in you know film and VFX and animation. It's essentially pre-visiting your life. Like when I work with people, because it's like, if you're in a job and if you started a job and there was no previous, there's no script, you'd say like, this is crazy. This, this movie or this show will never get done, right? Like you wouldn't even start working on it because you're like, what are we doing? Yeah, where do we start from? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, where do we start from? But like, I write, like, this is what we should be doing with our lives, which is the most important thing. And that's essentially what most of us are doing with our lives, right? We're just kind of like, okay, let's just go. Maybe the ending will, I don't know what the ending will be, yeah. but think about it, like, if you design your life like a movie almost and pre-visit, so you know where you want to end, like where the end is, you're very likely to get to that end, right? Your end goal. But if you don't design it, you're just leaving it up to like, that movie's never going to get done. <laughs> That's the, the best metaphor for coaching. I mean, we talk a lot. I mean, there's a lot of work around visualization and coaching, but I love your your you connecting it to the craft and previs yeah. and, and storyboarding. And there might be a few uh, DVDs extra style alternate endings if you that's, don't necessarily, right? Yeah, that's, really, I, that's so good. Yeah, I love that. I do do like kind of like the like choose your own adventure type mm. exercises sometimes, and it's totally like that. It's like if the story goes this way, like what's the yeah? It's fun. And I've even done storyboard exercises with people, like to awesome. just, yeah. Like you say, it just keeps it connected to the work and and the spark you were talking about earlier for you know the reasons why that person got into to that gig in the first place. And I was going to ask you whether being a peer, you know, being a creative yourself working in industry, whether that gives you a almost a USP as a creativity coach, because I'm sure there are lots of creativity coaches out there but perhaps not creativity coach you it was still working in industry getting stuff done I mean does that do you reckon that helps yeah, it definitely gives very unique perspective and I can I actually just I say like I'm a coach slash consultant mm-hmm. sometimes because yeah since I'm in it I'm in I can relate specifically to the person even if it's not in you know VFX and animation I've worked with designers and whatnot it's kind of a similar mindset in like just the creative mindset. And it helps so much to one for them to know that I've I'm in it too with them. But we end up doing like brainstorming together in ways that honestly you probably wouldn't be able to if I wasn't so experienced in the craft. So I think that does lend unique perspective and it's the relatability, right? It's like, yeah. you know, they know I'm in it. I know what I'm, you know, we can talk about it on the, these levels, which is really important. So I bring like two hats, right? So I have like the experience and I've done this with my students too at the academy. So it's, it's pretty interesting. Like the, they can ask me if they wanted to, they can ask me lighting questions, right? They can ask me like actual, like technical questions and then flip it and be like, well, so then, and then they'll ask me a coaching question on the same call. And it's, it's really fun because I was like, okay, I got, yeah, I have all these hats on and like, ask me whatever you mm-hmm. think you'd want to, you want to, you know, hear from me. So, so cool. it definitely helps. And you must get so much back as well, right? I mean, I know it's not a selfish act or anything, but as a, as a creative, 
And that, mm. that almost that reverse mentoring must happen from all of those students because you're brainstorming, right? So out of any brainstorm or any mind mapping or, or whatever you do, any critic critique, you're going to be yeah. bouncing ideas off the wall constantly. So you must walk away from those exchanges, particularly with that next generation coming up. Mm-hmm. That must make that's got to make you, dare I say, a even better artist or a better yeah. creative, right? Yeah, I mean, it takes me out of my my expands me mm. every time. And I will say it's like one of the things that I talk to people with is like, when do you feel energized? And that's when you know you're kind of like going towards the right path. And for me, I get more most like energized these days when I'm talking to students, when I'm talking to clients. Like I get really even, and I know this for a fact, like even when I'm like really tired, I'm like, oh, I have to get on this call. Like within a minute, I'm back. Yeah, right. Yeah where I can't honestly say the same if I'm like, it's 1 a.m. and I'm working on a shot and I'm like, oh God, this is painful. Like, I can't say that my energy level will like jump up when I open up Houdini or something. (laughs) It's probably like the opposite. So it's like kind of, you know, gauging your energy. And I, yeah, it's helped me on a personal level, professional level so much to be doing this work. And that's why you know, so a lot of people ask me why I'm doing this work when I have, I've been working, I work full time in VFX and animation. They're like, how do you have the time to do that? Like co-found the academy, do the creativity coaching. And it's exactly that. Like this is, gives me so much energy and I love it so much that it's not really work for me. It's kind of like you said, like my extracurricular, it's like, you know, some people draw on the side. I run an academy and I coach you know so yeah I agree like it just it brings on a selfish level like so much to my own personal expansion like you were saying earlier it creates meaning yeah for what you do it's the creativity incarnate and it's a great by the way what a great definition of creativity we've talked a lot about creativity on the podcast and and it's covered I thought all all avenues from yeah, what you actually see to problem solving, but you know, creating meaning in what you do just is poetic. So uh, hats off to that. So Jasmine, should we get into the, the vault? So as we go into the vault, we've already met you, so we know who you are and where you're from. So we're gonna dive straight into the three words that describe you, Jasmine. What, uh, what three wonderful words would describe you? Oh, interesting. I did not think of this ahead of time. Oh, really? Oh, that makes for more interesting. I know. Answer. I mean, I, I looked at it, honestly, and I was like, ooh, that's interesting. So creative, I would say, passionate, and I'm thinking of one word. Well, I was going to say action. I want to say like action taker, but it's like doer. It's okay. We've had yeah. two words before. There's definitely flexibility on the three words. <laughs> Uh, I get things done. I don't know. That's that's way more than three words. But get what you done. could do is you could have the three words: get things done, get things and done. I like that. Get things um, done. So I like that. And we're going to keep creativity and passion as a given because I think mm-hmm. we've got got into that in our in our earlier conversation. So I think I love that. Jasmine gets things done. Going to go back to that very shortly. So what did you want to be? Oh, no, actually, I've, I've gone ahead. I've got ahead of myself. What shameful. Yeah, you've kind of touched on this a little bit, but I would like to revisit this question is you get a knock on your, your door and there's some extraterrestrials outside and you have to explain to them that there's no kind of like laser gun to your head or anything. You know, this is just a conversation with, a, with an alien and you have to explain to them what you do for a living. How would you explain that? And that can be your 
your extracurricular <laughs> or your day job. So it's completely, let's go with the, I, I reckon we go for the extracurricular because that's definitely the conversation we have. To the alien, I help, I help people maximize their potential and do what they love. You're welcome to put that on your uh, LinkedIn for a lovely, yeah, lovely sentence. Oh, it was on my LinkedIn. No, no, no. I think you should put it on there. Oh, you think? I I think it's great. Yeah, it's definitely. I love that because it covers both angles, doesn't it? Again, what we said: next generation talent and and current industry talent who are trying to get survive in in this uh, this crazy industry. So I think that's uh, that's wonderful. And again, getting things done on the regular. Okay, that's good. I'll take that. That's a correct answer. The aliens will go about their day and conquer the world, or I don't know, whatever they want to do, vaporize people. So let's get back into the real world now when you were, when you were coming up and you, you know, in your formative years. Uh, what did you want to be when you grew up? You know, did you always want to be a, a co-founder of a, an education establishment? Always, or, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, I want to be a creativity coach, Daddy. You know, what, what's the, what was um, the aspiration? Well, interesting enough, when I, when I was young, I, I wanted to be an architect, but I was quickly told as a young child that that was not a possibility because architects you know work too hard they don't make enough money all the you know things that a parent might say and I always also veered towards uh, visual and arts but I was also told as a child that that's not a good career choice and it was instilled in me unfortunately that I should be a doctor. So ever since I, when I was little, it's like, you can be a doctor, you'll be a doctor. And this leads kind of into probably your next question is, you know, I ended up as a young child, you're very, you know, like listen to what you're told in a way. So by high school, I was like, okay, I'm going to be a doctor, but I was taking all these art classes, honestly, like I loved art and I would just take it, but that was just a hobby because I had to be a doctor, right? And then to go on to the question with like, what made you choose the university you went to? I still remember, I really wanted to apply to art school. I had an art portfolio, but I didn't because I, had, I was meant to be a doctor. And I chose a university that it was very good. It was a liberal arts school, but I chose it for my intention of becoming a doctor. And what happened was during my first year, I took all the pre-med classes, right? And I was like, this is miserable. I am not happy. And by the beginning of your sophomore year in the United States is when you're supposed to pick your major. And that was when I was like, okay, I do not want to do pre-med, but what can I do now? Because in my whole life, I've been told I, I need to be a doctor. I need to do something practical. You know, the arts was not practical. And that's when I decided just by kind of like, I'll major in economics. So I actually have a degree in economics uh, because in my mind, I'm like, okay, the next like practical thing is finance, right? My parents will get mad at me if I go into finance. And I minored in art history to like keep that art, like all through this, I will say, I like kept tidbits of art like I would still take the art studio art classes I'd like try to get some kind of art in there but it'd be like on the side so I have a major in economics and a minor in art history and what happened was four years of college right 
I grew, I was going to finance interviews. I still remember this so well in New York City, like the big firms, right? Sitting in these daunting interviews. And on my third interview, someone was like, why do you want to go into finance? And I just sat there and I was like, and my internal mind was like, you don't want to do this. And <laughs> I like obviously said some kind of BS answer as a response, but I left that interview and I was like, I'm not doing this. I can't see a life where I'm doing finance my whole life. And it took me until I was probably 21. I was like 21 at the time or 22. It took me that long to finally be like, wow. I, I'm done here. I am going to start following what I really love to do. Just crazy. Think about it. It took so long. And that's where that summer, I just stopped going to interviews. I took like a Photoshop. I just went randomly. I was like, let me see some kind of like design or art visual thing that I can do. And I just took this like default Photoshop and Illustrator class. And at the same time, the instructor that was teaching happened to be a 3D person. And at this point, I had no idea what 3D was. Like, I don't have a story where I like, you know, <laughs> saw this movie or saw something and I knew I needed to be in 3D. Like I was 22 and I was just like, I want to do something creative. I've been told my whole life I can't really do that. How, like, what should I do now? And he would happen to be in 3D and he showed me He's like, oh, you're picking this up really quickly. Let me show you this thing over here. I think you might find it interesting. And it was my first view of a 3D software. I forget what it was. It might've been just like 3D Studio Max at the time. And I was like, what is this? And my mind was a little bit blown. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And fast forward, what happened was I ended up getting a job as a junior package designer. I don't, I still don't know how I got this job. I made this portfolio. I got a job at Godiva Chocolatiers as a package designer where I worked for like a year or more than that because I worked through grad school there. But the 3D was still like, I was like, ooh, that 3D was really interesting. So what happened was I created a portfolio for 3D and I ended up going to grad school and getting a master's in digital imaging and design. And that's where I got my start in 3D. And from there, I worked in you know, visual effects for about five years, five or six years. Then I went to feature animation for 10 years, 10 plus years almost. And then now I'm back kind of in the visual effects world. So it's been a ride. It's right. been a- <laughs> Crazy. That's a, there's a, some kind of Hollywood biopic right there, I think. There should be another question who would play you in, in your movie? Because that is, yeah, it's, it's almost, it's, made, it's, it's like you've made up for lost time because that chunk of time where you were almost, uh, convinced that you had to have like what I call a proper job you know you had to be the the doctor or the lawyer or you know whatever your family expects of you and how that anything you know broadly defined as creative isn't the proper job and it has to be like you said it's your hobby and I love how you just weaved in a little bit of artistry all along the way but in those early years it just sounds like a really sad story that you had I mean I've been there where I've sat in interviews and the the person interviewing you is like "You, you don't want this job do you and you're going no, you have this epiphany. You're like, no, it's like a Hollywood moment where you just kind of yeah. walk out and then you go on your path and you get inspired by whatever inspires you. But it's, it's a great story. And, and that, that story, that arc you've just told just reminds me as to why we set up Access VFX, which is, you know, moving away from, you know, what, what your parents expect of you or what you get told by careers advice. You know, it's, yeah, it's really interesting. And yeah, glad it all works out in the end. Happy ending. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's been right. working well. My parents are proud of me now. Oh, totally. Yeah, we're not here to kind of yeah, yeah. yeah. critique yeah. your parents. I don't want to get into any trouble. We can edit that out. Um, oh, no, but, no. You don't need to do that. But well, yeah. Can, may I ask, when was, what, when was the moment where almost it was accepted by whether it was family or, or peers or whoever was ex where, that expect where, where that expectation lay? You know, wh when was the moment where it was like, almost you had the blessing? Did you take that on yourself? You said, right, I'm doing this now and I don't care what you think. Or was there a moment where you thought, I can do this. Everybody's got my back and I'm going to pursue this career. I mean, in that regard, I was pretty lucky. I feel like honestly, the whole, the doctor and the practicality thing was coming from more of a one-sided from one of my parents, but in general, I felt pretty supported. So like when I did decide to make a decision to, you know, not pursue finance, it was a little, tell they were a little scared, but at the same time, they had confidence in me and I had a plan. I think that was it. Like I started taking action and yeah, they supported like the grad school. And I, I remember when I got my first job at a very good pay rate too in VFX, my dad was like so impressed that he was like so impressed how you did that. Like, you know, I basically, so I will say I'm grateful like for the support that I had. It was never like, oh my God, you're yeah. done. You're not a doctor, right? It was kind of, you know, and ironically, my my mother is an artist, which I think it's an interesting perspective. Like she she is an artist and she was a fashion, she's a fashion designer. And she was the one leading the non-art path, which I think is really interesting. interesting. Yeah. And my father is actually a doctor, but he was not the one that was like, he didn't really care as much so I think that's also that's like a whole deep dive of like wow. something else but I think that's a very interesting thing I still look back on that and I'm like huh it's like my the yeah the artist that was trying to like bear mm -hmm. me away from artistry which I think is that's really really interesting that's like there's a whole podcast episode in that alone I, I know that's breaking that down <laughs> so, so building on that you talked about obviously getting that that first decent job you know what was what can you talk a bit about your your big break you know what when you this almost set off the the catch fire for your career big break in interesting industry. well I guess my first big break it was I mean it was like little things here and there so it wasn't just like one big wow but after graduation had, I started freelancing at a small studio at the time. It was called Rhino Effects. They don't exist anymore as a lighting artist. And that was like a huge break. It's like, oh, you got into, you know, your first like CFX gig. And then I also, and then at that same time, I got into the first Rhythm and Hues, which also doesn't exist anymore, lighting apprentice program. And they flew me out there for a month and that was amazing. I got to work on, I think it was like Narnia at the time. And for me, my mind was blown like that. It was so exciting. And my big break was like Rhythm and Hughes wanted to, wanted to offer me a position. And then at the same time, I came back to New York and Rhino was like, wait, don't go. Like we want to offer you a position. So I had two offers kind of budding against each other. And it was a very distinct position because obviously one was in New York City one was in LA one was in like movies and the other one's like VFX more like commercial work but in the end I decided to stay in New York City just because it was like that whole New York City versus LA you yeah. know which one am I gonna go to 
So I've been in New York City pretty much my whole life. So I think I'm like pretty much a hardcore East Coast New York City person. But that was like the big breakthrough. And I think that's what also helped launch my my career, like having two two companies kind of bud against. And now that I say that, it's interesting. Almost every big transition I've gone through within the industry, I've had two competing offers at the same time. Wow. I don't know if I've manifested that, but it's a great position to be in. So if you're ever like looking for transitions, try have two offers at the same time to like really spark that and like elevate the negotiation, first of all. But like, I think it's a great jumping point, like to jump, jump, jump in that way. Yeah, you, you absolutely deserve to have those count, you know, those dual offers every time, you know, the amount of time it got it took you to get into industry so I think having yeah. that you, you at least deserve that much it's payback it's life's way of paying you back going okay you know we, we, we messed up here but you know here you are here's lots of options for you to uh, negotiate with and leverage um, brilliant no thank you for that so we're going to get into it's a little bit of a quick fire round because uh, it wouldn't be the access yeah. vfx podcast without getting into the uh, a bit of the geeky stuff and you know questions around animation and just the you know, on-screen content on the internal side, be interested to hear what's been the favorite project you've you've worked on, having been in industry for a good chunk of time. Which one stands yeah. out? So my favorite job is actually interesting. It's it's not something I would suspect, but mm-hmm. when I thought about it, it was one of my first jobs at uh, the mill in New York, and I was pretty junior. I wasn't junior actually. I wasn't. I was just. I was pretty seasoned by then. But it was a challenging job because I was by myself, and I was tasked with this photo reel to make like this tomato growing this nature scene completely from scratch texturing lighting it and making a photo reel and I remember like even the creative director was like I don't know if you can do this and I was like okay challenge accepted and it was awesome like and I and it was kind of one of those things where I created it myself I was skeptical if I could do it too I was like oh I don't know and I loved it until this day. I still look at that job and I'm like, I'm really proud of that. You know, even though it's like this kind of smallest job, you'd think I would pick like one of the big feature things that right. I've done. But that's that's my favorite job. Yeah. That's really refreshing to hear because we do get a lot of the big, you know, the big uh, the big movie blockbusters and the, the credits. So it's it's yeah. great to hear about a challenge you had with a photo, real tomato. Yeah. Tomato, tomato. Yeah, <laughs> either way, wherever you're listening. <laughs> So what about the most challenging job then? What was the one that really stretched you? I mean, we used to have this, uh, this question used to be called the worst job, but I think that just, we don't like to be negative on the podcast. So the most yeah. challenging job that really pushed you to your limits. I think the most challenging job was a shot I had at Blue Sky Studios doing feature animation that we were working due to many, several factors I ended up working on shots, like the same shots for nearly a year. <laughs> Whoa. That was challenging because, I mean, that's where the creativity comes into play, right? Mm. Like, you needed a creativity coach maybe, then, for sure. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's part of me. Maybe, maybe that was the moment, the aha moment. I should think, I should think that challenging job. But yeah, it's like, how do you stay engaged and creative and inspired when you're working on, you know, a shot that might be only 100 frames like not even that long for a whole year that is very challenging wow that sounds exhausting but i'm sure it worked out in the end yeah that must have been a relief to get put that one behind you yes indeed. 
So moving on to, again, going deeper into the geeky section is, uh, do you have a, a hero of the craft? Anybody who stands out as a, it could be a, a peer that you've worked with, it could be, you know, a, a famous name in animation or, or visual effects. I mean, what anybody stand up as a kind of as, as, as something to aspire to? I mean, honestly, like the person that I would probably aspire to is more like this entrepreneurial type of mentor that has created so many different creative businesses, like, and like made a really big impact. And I'm thinking, I mean, it'd be a female. I don't like off the top of my head. It's, in, it's, it's an interesting question. I don't have that mm, answer. That's okay. That's we could almost get the uh, the listener to kind of picture that person yeah. in their head. You could say, well, they're female, they're entrepreneurial, you know, you could almost go, you know, if you could, yeah. you can choose your your aspirational hero. That's absolutely fine. In terms of the, any any piece of animation, so maybe a, shot, a great shot or a great, you know, great, you know, piece of art that you've seen through, through your journey through the craft, you know, what's the best, best stuff you've seen on screen? Well, the best stuff, I'm not sure if it's the best stuff, but most recently I was, I was so inspired by the lighting of, of Queen's Gambit. Gambit. Oh, okay, yeah. And I mean, it's, it's all about, for me, I'm definitely veered towards more lighting and the visual, mm -hmm. but I was just, you know, stunned by the look of it and how, how much it like drew me in and the beauty of it. For me, it's, I'm really like when I see something if it I, I'm just like pure visual right for me like technical is great like oh how did they do that for me it's like it's that instant reaction and if I see something I'm like ooh, I'm drawn in and that's I felt that when I saw Queen, Queen, Queen's Gambit yeah. I love that appreciation because I'm, I'm the same like, I mean I, I don't work on you know what's the term people use on the box but I but I can appreciate art and that's my that's my background and you know i mean i, I went to see uh, june recently at the cinema and you know i couldn't get into war and peace about how it was made but i can if i was to pause that movie at any point it'd be something you'd put on your on your wall you know it's just it just looks beautiful you know so yeah. I think, and particularly light and lighting plays such a massive part in that I and mean, we've spoken a lot at various accessory effects events about you know using photography and a love for photography as a way into roles in kind of lighting and, and understanding you know the way like light interacts with certain objects and characters and the environment I mean I don't I'm speaking as a complete you know oh, yeah, novice here but, but as a way in you know we always say if you want to work in any area of the industry it's just to kind of create stuff whether that be taking photos or drawing or just having a being creatively literate or culturally literate you know having an interest yeah. in in yeah what yeah the moving image or the still image I think is is huge yeah I agree and yeah you're totally on point I often also say like you know within VFX there's so many in the animation there's so many disciplines right there's mm -hmm. animation there's lighting rigging like and I think a good gauge kind of what like when someone's trying to figure out where they fit in that like what they should focus on my co-founder actually said this but like a good gauge is to when you see something when you're watching a movie you're watching anything what what are you focused on are you focused on the action like the acting or are you focused on the look and if you're focused on the action the animation that's what you take in you should be an animator if if what you're looking at is the overall look of the shot you should be a lighter 
So that was like a good way of kind of doing If you feel like you're like, I'm not sure. I'm like, which way do you go? Because for me, I know for sure I was never meant to be an animator. (laughs) (laughs) I would like spend like a week or not even like a day animating something in school. I'd be like, I'm done. And then, but I'd spend like weeks lighting it or, you know, so gauge like where you are in that spectrum. I love that. I love that. I'm going to borrow that for future Axis VFX events, I think. Yeah. It's great career advice for that area of, of, of visual effects and animation. And, and what would be, you've mentioned the Queen's Gambit as a recent example of something that you've loved. I mean, from a, from a lighting perspective and from your craft, what you do for a living, you know, what is the pinnacle of the art form? What stands out as a, a masterclass in, in lighting, do you think? It stands out as a masterclass in lighting. Yeah an actual class I was like it's our class at the academy oh, well of course an actual <laughs> no, <I'm> class <laughs> lots of lots of master classes at the academy pinnacle well I mean it's like it's probably the older stuff honestly mm. the older films and photography like photography is huge as you said it mm-hmm. goes hand in hand with lighting so when honestly when I'm looking at lighting inspirations I go back to photography especially black and white photography trying there's a name I'm horrible with names. <laughs> now I'm looking at I mean like yeah, cool. well, to go to the old grades like you know Ansel Adams and whatnot with the black and white but there's this one more modern photographer and this is where my co-founder would come into play because he knows this photographer okay we'll get him on as a guest as well yeah the side of the story <laughs> Yeah, so I wholly blanking on saying we talk about him all the time in our courses. I will, you know what? I'll get back Save to it. you. Put it in the show notes. Put it in the show notes. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> so let's let's get into the, the final chunk of the podcast, which is around advice and and uh, and industry. And what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? And we've talked quite a lot about advice during this podcast, but uh, what's the best bit that you've received? that I've received personally yeah um, don't take it personally actually like especially as if that's the one thing that I feel like learning curve when you go into professional environment after you know especially being a student to get critiques like that's you're in dailies almost every day and the best advice was like don't take it personally especially and just you know get the feedback and reframe it in a different way. Like this is to make you better, not better, but it's to make the visual better, right? And it's not, it's not an attack to you personally. And I think that's, that was really important to me coming in very beginning. Cause I, yeah, no one wants feedback, you know, it's that critical feedback, like, oh no, like, especially anything creative feels really personal to you, but mm-hmm. we got have to like, especially when you're in that environment, detach from that, it's not personal. Think about like how, how can you grow? How can you learn? Mm, and that's exactly. like helps. Yeah. 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 Like I say, it's a funny one for any kind of feedback is, you know, we all crave it, but we don't like to hear it. And it's, exactly. you know, whether it be creative yeah. critique or just basic kind of day-to-day feedback or your partner tells you that you maybe you shouldn't have said that, you know, it's important you hear that to grow and develop, yeah. but yeah, yeah. And it's the only way we grow in many ways. Right. Agreed. And like, yeah, because our initial response is defensive, right? Yeah. Fight and, or flight. Yeah. And it's like, oh no, but like, yeah, try to lose that defense mechanism and that. instead try to like take it in as like benefiting you. Um, yeah. Do you remember who gave you that advice or is that just something that's stuck over the years? I do not. I should, I do not. 
Honestly. So thank you. Thank you, Anonymous. Yeah, thank you to Advice all donor. my co-workers. <laughs> get, the, get ready for the Oscar, Oscar speech. <laughs> Our next question is, we call the imposter syndrome question. Have you ever felt out of your depth or that you were faking it till you make it? Every day. Every, yeah. Every day. Even yeah, today. I yeah. mean, yeah, I think no matter where you are in your profession, it's almost, I will say, if you don't feel that imposter syndrome, maybe you're not challenging yourself enough. Mm, honestly, I agree. Right? Yeah, so yeah. almost every day I feel that in some aspects. And it helps ground me, honestly, but then it also helps me know that I'm kind of challenging myself and going out of my depth. But yes, I feel it all the time. I was just talking about it the other day. Especially, I will say, my biggest instance recently was when I went back when I, I was in animation for over 10 years and then I went back to VFX Ooh, that was a huge shift and I was like oh, like there was that day where I was like I do this yeah. <laughs> like even though I had started in VFX you know 10 years is a long time so that was the most recent like big imposter syndrome yeah there's definitely a fine line between like you said imposter syndrome and, and that being in your comfort zone just coasting mm -hmm. and and that's yeah. where I imagine you get into that creative lull that we spoke about the kind of top of cast exactly yeah so hypothetically we had aliens visit you earlier now you're going back in time to visit your teenage self so getting pack up the DeLorean and go back to whenever you were a teenager I'm sure it wasn't that long ago Jasmine and what advice would you give your your younger self if you could Go to art school. No I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't do all of this uh, finance stuff. I mean, yeah, my younger self, I would have said, be confident in knowing and following what you really love. Of course, that feels like, of course, you would say that to your younger self, and that feels a little vague. So, I think what I'd really say. So I'd say that, but then I'd rethink it. I was like. Well, just trust in the journey because I will like just go with it and have fun, trust in the journey, just take as much in because even I will say like, of course, so my journey was not super direct and there was kind of that deviation, but I could also see aspects of, you know, that life that has helped me today, like economics and whatnot. So it's almost like trust in the journey and it will get you where you want to be in a way, but you should plan it out like pre-visit. <laughs> pre-visit, back to the storyboard. Go back to the pre-visit because wait, don't just aimlessly like go. But trust in the journey, but also, yeah, I would tell myself to go to art school. <laughs> I think that's absolutely right and proper and fair. So similar question, but different is what do you wish you had known when you were starting out? So a bit different to the advice question. What do you wish mm. you, knew, you had knowledge of? What I wish I had known is that I didn't have to create boundaries for myself because when I first started out I was so focused on you know being the best lighting artist and when I saw other things that I was interested in I kind of either I did it but I created boundaries like I I better explanation is like I couldn't cross paths like either as a lighting artist and all of a sudden I became you know I co-founded this academy I became a creativity coach I put boundaries to be between each one. Like at work, I am just a lighting artist. I will not even mention I do this or that and, or I coach. 
And what I've come to realize is it's all expansion of yourself and you should blend it. And that's how you grow even faster. And I think that's one thing I would tell myself, like, you don't have to pigeonhole yourself. It's like your identity. Yeah, you don't, yeah. I feel like you think of, you know, when you go to a party and someone asks you, what do you do? It's a very interesting question. And it's like, we are so focused on what our identity is. And for me, for so long, I'm like, I'm an artist. I'm a visual effects artist. I'm an animation artist. And I would never even talk about, you know, my entrepreneurial co-founding or my creativity coaches. Oh no, that's my identity. And I feel like we all feel like we need to fit whatever one thing, but we're so multifaceted, especially as creatives, right? There's so many things that we do. Like you do so many things, like how, why am I just like putting myself in this box? So I just like, like go outside, be who you want to be and not say like, I am just this one thing. It's all together. Going back to kind of career, is there a point, actually, you know, I'm, when I'm talking, when I talk about career, I'm talking about the journey, you know, everything you've talked about so far, what, what's been the biggest learning moment for you? It's never done. We're never done. We're never done creating ourselves in a way, because to be honest with you, like if Blue Sky didn't close down, I'd probably still be at Blue Sky right now, right? Just because it would have been, it's easy to stay. And what happened was when Blue Sky closed, it, it, it like jolted, you know, it jolted, it jolted you out of that, that normal, that kind of steadiness, security blanket, and like wakes you up again. Mm-hmm. And for me, that jolt was really beneficial in the way that it made me align with my priorities. So now I'm more focused on, you know, the academy, the coaching, like, of course, I'm still doing the artistry too, but I'm realizing where I need to put my energy. And I think that is the biggest thing that I realized, like, oh my God, I've grown. I've actually grown in leaps and bounds within this past year since Blue Sky closed, more so than I probably had in the past five. And it's a reminder that we're never done. We're always growing. We can always, you know, re I don't want to say reinvent ourselves, but like create the the person that you always want to be. And maybe you don't even know you want to become and like keep on that curiosity and exploring, especially if you're in a creative lull, because maybe you are meant to do something else. Mm -hmm. So that is, I think my biggest like transformation and that I'm not done. Like, yeah. And we're never done, right? We could yeah. be like 60, 70 and be like, I'm not done. Let's see what we can do. Yeah. And I think that's one thing. Because as a younger person, honestly, when I got my first job in my like 20s, and it was a great paying job. I was like, I'm done. This is awesome. This is my life, you know? Like that culture, like my father had the same job for his whole life and then he retired. It's like that idea of like, okay, I'm going to work this job until 65 or whatever. Then I retire. That's, that's it. That's- yeah right I think that's where I'm like shifting I'm like no that's not how it is it's like you're always inventing yourself recreating yourself challenging yourself so you can always have that creative spark you had when you're in your 20s right we don't have to settle for just like and I know like I have kids like you know all those excuses people have like well I have responsibilities I have kids now and whatnot it's those aren't I don't want to say those are real excuses but like 
that shouldn't stop you. If anything, it should motivate you even more because you have that family to be that mod, that role model and give that energy back to them too. So anyway, I can go on and on about this. (laughs) No, it's fascinating. It's, it's almost, you put your own limitations on you by having that mindset. There's always a reason to not do something. It's like you said, if, if, if uh, blue sky hadn't come to an end, you you would have you know could have still been there because like you like you said, it's easier to stay. Mm-hmm. Whereas we've talked a lot about comfort zone and and you know they don't they say life begins on the edge of your comfort zone. Like once you're pushed out into a new sphere or a new world, and it's like right, okay, challenge. I've got to step up. I've got to up my game. I've got to learn stuff. And and you you know I completely wholeheartedly agree with you that you never you're always a student. You you never stop learning. You're always picking up new stuff. Nobody's the finished article i don't care you know whether you're a co-founder of a big company even like the big ceos of the world are still learning stuff right so i completely agree with that i think that's a really really great answer yeah correct correct 10 points (laughs) okay (laughs) excellent yeah first first point school so last few questions before we wrap up jasmine are kind of focused on on industry and the the first of the set is you know what would you change about our industry if I can wave a magic wand, I would change the life balance. Depending, I mean, it's all dependent on studios and whatnot, but as a whole, um, sometimes the artists get burnt out, right? It's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of pressure, the time constraints, especially within BFX. So that's what I would change. Like, how can we create an environment where people can create and do great work, but then also not have to sacrifice maybe another element. Yeah, it's something I've heard a lot about, whether it be through my work through Access VFX or working in industry. And and it can be, I mean, I'm I'm so glad that people like you exist doing the creativity coaching because a lot of people will come off these huge jobs and go, I'm out now, I'm done. This is it, that's it. And I've heard that a lot. So, you know, it's, yeah. And again, in many ways, it's the easy option to go, right, I'm out. And you could be this incredible force of nature, valuable to industry, but the, the nature kind of, yeah, like you said, you used the term jaded, you just, I'm done, I'm out. So yeah, it's a really, really good one. Thank you. Hopefully industry are listening to that one. I think that definitely needs to change. I think there's certain, I can, I'm hearing about some changes through conversations that I'm having, but it's at least a long journey, isn't it, culturally? It is, yeah. I've, I've been hearing too about positive things. Mm. It's a journey and it requires collaboration yeah. you know it requires action towards it and yeah i'm hopeful brilliant and speaking of the long game this is the question around uh, inclusion and diversity is which is it's the only long game in town making a great yes. a more inclusive industry and what is one thing that we can do as a step towards a more inclusive and diverse industry well it's a really interesting question i didn't we didn't touch on this but I am actually working with Access VFX in the US with Kathleen and Anne specifically on creating a diversity and inclusion program through the academy that helps, that starts young, like late middle school to early high school and starts educating them in animation, gets them aware. And the idea is to give them all the resources and training and everything they need to become industry ready, you know, if they do by the end of end of high school or maybe pursue a college education in this. And the reason why, and you kind of say it like it's the long game, is 
you know, one of the problems I'll say is, you know, it'd be easy to hit a magic button and be like, okay, more diversity, more, you know, but what happens is the applicant pool is not diverse, right? And there are a lot of limitations to even getting into that industry, into our industry. Like, so how do you make the industry more diverse if the applicant pool itself is not diverse? So that's why we're going back to the long game of like, okay, let's focus on early education and educate a more diverse group of students. So the applicant pool is more diverse and thus the long game of having more diverse industry. I'm so glad you're working with us because that's exactly what Access to FX is all about. It's getting, that's why our mentoring program starts at 13 years old. I mean, if we could go younger, we would, you know, child protection laws are, you know, permitting. But yeah, it's absolutely getting, planting those seeds. You know, you talked to earlier about, you know, parental advice, you know, and again, I'm not critiquing your parents here, but you know, you're going to be a doctor or you're going to be in the family business. You're not going to do this pipe dream of a creative RT, RT job. Uh, so trying to kind of combat that and all those kind of barriers against creative careers, particularly, you know, I can only speak from experience in, in the UK, but I know it's something that's prevalent globally because why, 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 why would we have a chapter across America and Canada and now Australia and New Zealand? You know, it's a, uh, it's a common shared shared challenge and i'm so glad that we are we are partnering with you because we're we're definitely on the same page in terms of aspirations and and the the why behind what we do so i've taken up enough of your time jasmine so i'm going to wrap up with the big finish it's called okay. the career advice question it's the golden ticket the golden nugget Ooh. what is your nugget of advice for anyone trying to get into industry be focused i mean know what you want to do like do the pre-planning, kind of the pre-biz, right? When you say you want to get into the industry, where do you want to be in the industry? Do you want to be animation? Do you want to be in lighting? And that's why you could be laser focused on it and then go backwards from there and know the steps needed to get into that position, like that specific position. And I say this more like as a tactical, practical, instead of, you know, follow your dreams or follow your goals. It's because this is how you take the action. Like, this is where I say, get it done. You know, mm. it's, you need the focus, you need the direction. So it's not enough to just say, oh, I wish I was in VFX. Like what, where do you want to be in VFX? And then hone in on that and then just do the steps to get to that position. Right. Because a lot of times what I see is students, they're all over the place and but they spend their time on aspects that won't move them forward. So imagine if you you spend all your energy on that, you knowing that that's going to help move you forward, you can move forward faster and probably higher quality too. And that I think is the biggest advice I'd say is hone in on what you want and then be laser focused. And then from there, once you get there, then you, you can kind of keep on testing and iterating. By way of kind of wrapping up the podcast, we like to give all of our guests the opportunity to plug things and to, to talk about, you know, where, where can our listeners go to find out more? And my first question would be, how do they get involved with the Academy? What's the route in? Yeah, just go the easiest route in to get more information is go to academyofanimatedart.com. And from there, you can, you know, list to our courses. There's also a master class that you can enroll in. And yeah, that's where you get all the information you need to get started. And you can always message me personally at jasmine at academyofanimatedart.com. And I'm, 
I'm always happy to answer anyone's questions. Amazing. Thank you, Jasmine. And uh, for the other kind of chunk of our audience, uh, if anybody wants a creativity coach, how do they go about that? Are you open for business? I am. I love working with people. So yeah, if they want to do creativity coaching with me, they can find me. And I'm trying to think, what's the best place to find me? They could find me on Instagram would probably be the best mm-hmm. is at Jasmine Katat. I didn't go full Katatakarn because I felt like that mm-hmm. was daunting to people to type out, but Jasmine Katat. Instagram and from there then they can link to you know all my services and whatnot amazing anything else that I'm missing anything else you want to put out there into the the world for our no doubt thousands of subscribers be you I don't know just you know just be you amazing Jasmine Katatakan you've been incredible I've loved that conversation I feel like we've been talking for hours and Mm -hmm. I I mean that in a good way but yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's early for you. So uh, enjoy the rest of your day. And I hope the weather's good in New York today. Yes, thank you. Same to you. Amazing. Take care, Jasmine. Yeah, you too. Well, that was episode seven, season two of the Access VFX podcast. We very much hope you enjoyed it. What a slice of podcast gold we had with Jasmine. Before you go, a couple of things. Please go to Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating, subscribe, and leave us a review if you fancy it. And most importantly, please get involved with our Foundry-sponsored global e-mentoring program. If you're in the UK, USA, Canada, Australia, or New Zealand, you can sign up for free to get an industry mentor or be a mentor yourself to folks aspiring or just getting started in visual effects animation or games, or all three. Go to www.accessvfx.org forward slash mentors and go and change someone's life. Thank you, Jasmine, for being such an inspiring guest. Thanks to Tom Box for producing it and for the graphics. And of course, thanks to you for listening. Come and join me next week where we speak to another brilliant guest. Thanks. And from all of us at Access VFX, we wish you a very happy and successful 2022.